Good morning. Our um, passage today comes from Luke 22, 39 through 53. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve, named Judas, was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police, and the elders who had come for him, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, for those of you just joining us today, we're nearing the end of our sermon series titled Delighting in Our Dependence, based on Dr. Kelly Capick's book, You're Only Human. And as we wrap up the series, we're focusing our last four sermons on how to actually embrace the creaturely limits God has given us as the good gifts that they are. Last week, Aaron taught us about the importance of embracing the season of life we find ourselves in, and today I'm going to focus our attention on the importance of choosing to be vulnerable. Most of us hate vulnerability. This is why Uh, Dr. Brene Brown's 2010 TED Talk is the fourth most popular TED Talk of all time, garnering 60 million views. It is titled, The Power of Vulnerability. And in it, Dr. Brown, the chair of the Graduate School of Social Work at the University of Houston, tells the story of setting out to do her PhD research on human connection. Because 10 years of work as a social worker had made it clear to her that connection is what brings meaning and purpose to human life. In fact, in her words, she says, it is why we're here. Now, what she discovered as she sought to research human connection in an effort to prevent most of the things that we struggle with, like drug addiction, social injustice, and mental illness was that life-giving connection requires vulnerability, and we hate it. We hate vulnerability. Why? 
Because each time she tried to talk to people about connection, instead, they wanted to talk about the times that they had been hurt. And the fear and the shame that they had experienced in life that made the vulnerability necessary for connection feel foolish or impossible. Which shouldn't surprise those of us familiar with Genesis 3-7, where we read that as soon as sin entered the human equation, this is what we did. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Once human sinfulness entered the picture, vulnerability before God and other people became too painful for us to take. It required a courage to open ourselves up, a desire for grace, a willingness to confess our sins without blame shifting, and it made us wait. So what do we do instead? We hide, right? How do we hide? We don't sew fig leaves together. We distract ourselves with screens, we drink, we eat, we drug ourselves so that we're numb, so that we don't have to feel the loneliness, anxiety, and self-contempt we experience whenever we start thinking about trying to connect with God or other people. Consequently, Dr. Brown noted way back in 2010... We are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. And it has only gotten worse since then. So what's the solution? Somehow we need to discover a source of courage outside of ourselves that will make it possible for us to choose the risk of vulnerability necessary for real connections. If only there was a person in human history who had experienced the most shameful thing we can imagine who was able to maintain a vulnerability in the face of such pain that made it possible for him to experience intimacy with God and with other people that was world-changing. Which brings us to our passage today. It's Jesus' darkest hour. Him at his most vulnerable. The moment when he experienced abandonment, neglect, and betrayal by those who should have loved him the most. And here we see what it took for Jesus not only to endure this kind of treatment from those he wanted to stick with him, but to emerge on the other side as someone who, in the words of Napoleon, founded a kingdom based on love and for whom millions of people would die today. So what do we see Jesus do in this passage from Luke? Well, we see him stick to his routine, choose vulnerability, express disappointment, fall apart before his father and entrust himself to God enough to love his enemies unto death. The first thing that Luke tells us about Jesus' approach to the worst night of his life is that he stuck with his routine. Verse 39, Jesus went out and made his way as usual 
to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. This means then that during the three years the disciples had spent following Jesus around Israel, nearly every night they saw him pull away to spend time alone with his heavenly father in prayer. He did it after healing people all day at Peter's house in Capernaum. He did it after feeding 5,000 people near the shores of Galilee. And he did it so often when they visited Jerusalem that they knew exactly where he would go. He'd go to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. Again, verse 39, Jesus went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. If we're going to find the courage necessary to choose vulnerability, particularly the vulnerability a meaningful human life requires, we're going to need to do the same thing. Like Jesus, we're going to need to engage in healthy spiritual practices. We're going to need to get heart strong. Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 7-8 instructs his timid mentee, Timothy, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Some of you have probably decided to get in better physical shape this year, right? Maybe you're doing dry January. Maybe uh, you're uh, showing up at the Y, right? It's why during the first six weeks of the year, all the attendance at the local gyms kind of spikes. Our gym uh, down the street sent out an email to all the members the first week of the year, which read, people will tell you that getting started is the hardest part. This, unfortunately, is people trying to make you and themselves feel better. Getting started is hard, but it is far from the hardest part. Showing up consistently is the hardest part. Staying with something to go from the beginner stage to the intermediate stage is rare. If you want results, you need to stick it out. You need to keep moving forward. Consistency will always be the hardest part, but consistency is where the magic happens and where you turn into the person that you are hoping to become. Well, the Apostle Paul's point to Timothy is that what's true for us physically is also true for us spiritually. If you want to know God, you need to consistently talk to Him. You need to be in His presence every day. If we want to develop the courage necessary to overcome our fear of vulnerability so that we can experience the real joys of connection with God and other people, then like Jesus, we've got to consistently spend time with our Heavenly Father in prayer. And when we do, what should we say? Well, Jesus told us what to say. Matthew 6, 9-13, through 13, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. 
We're to pray this not in a wooden way, but in a real way, in a relational way. You get hints of Jesus praying parts of this in the prayer that he prayed on this night. Verse 40, when he reached the place, he told them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and began to pray, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your, yours be done. This consistent time of connection with his heavenly Father gave Jesus the humility and courage necessary to choose vulnerability. He began by choosing to take his closest friends with him into his darkest hour. Matthew reports in Matthew 26 that this is what happened in that garden. He says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray, taking along Peter And the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Jesus was saying to his best friends, hey, listen, I really need you guys right now. Which is an amazing admission for the only begotten son of God to make. But he made it without batting an eye. Jesus felt no shame about needing help. Because Jesus knew that when God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone, he wasn't just talking about Adam, he was talking about all of us. But notice that Jesus didn't share this information with everyone. He chose a small group, three of his apostles, to be his most vulnerable with Likewise, you and I need to be wise about who we open ourselves up to. Proverbs 13.20 says, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 18.24 says, One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Peter chose, I mean, excuse me, Jesus chose Peter and James and John. He took them deep into his anxiety. He shared his whole heart with them, and he asked them to hold vigil with him. Who are those people for you? Who can you trust with your fear? Who can you trust with your pain? Who can you trust with your anxiety, with the questions you're asking, with your doubts. Jesus chose these three guys. And what did they do for him? Well, they let him down. Rather than remaining there and staying awake, because of their grief at his fear, they fell asleep. Dr. Brown tells a story in her uh, vulnerability talk about a man confronting her uh, at a book signing. And he said to her, I notice you only talk about this with women. Why don't you ever talk about it with men? And she said, well, you know, I'm kind of focused on women. That's kind of the focus of my studies. He said, well, that's convenient. 
And she said, what do you mean by that? And his wife is super embarrassed, and she's kind of pulling away from him while he says this. And he said to her, she said, these words haunted her. My wife and kids would rather see me die on the white horse than fall off. They won't let me off the horse they put me on. That's what happened with Jesus here. He's starting to break down, and it causes his disciples to fall into grief. And so they shut down. So what did Jesus do? Well, he didn't do what I would have done, right? He didn't stuff his feelings, harden his heart, and go on by himself. Why not? Because love requires a commitment to vulnerability even when it's painful, even when people let you down. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Four Loves, where he says, There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Instead of locking his heart up, Jesus went to them, woke them up, and let them know how disappointed he was. Verse 45, when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Mark's version of these events, which was dictated to him by Peter, includes the detail that Jesus actually had to wake them up three times. So he didn't just give them one shot at handling his disappointment. But he expressed his disappointment to them and depended on them again and again and again. Which is something I hate doing. I'm definitely a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of guy. I am like one strike and you're bloop, like shields are up. I'm out. I'd much rather harden my heart toward those who hurt me than do what Jesus commands me to do when he says in Luke 6, 29, if anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other one also. Chosen vulnerability. He's commanding us to choose vulnerability even after someone hurts us. This is how we overcome evil with good and experience the full life Jesus died to give us. But where do we get that kind of spiritual strength? The answer that our passage gives us is startling. It's by being completely vulnerable with the one being in the universe who loves us perfectly. This is where the story gets really interesting for me and surprising. Verse 41, Then he withdrew 
from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. The cup that Jesus mentions here is the cup of God's wrath, described in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ. The prophet Isaiah had predicted that God would send his son, born of a virgin, to serve as a suffering servant by giving himself as a sin offering for the world and drinking God's wrath due our sins. Which means that at this time, when Jesus prayed as he'd prayed every day, Father, how may I do your will on earth as it is done in heaven? His father asked him to endure the unimaginable. God the Father with whom the sinless Jesus had lived in perfect unity from birth until this very moment, is, asked, is asking his son to drink the cup of his wrath to do our sins, to do what Paul calls become sin, and to experience God-forsakenness on the cross so that God could be both just and the justifier of those who are united to the Lamb of God who came away to take away the sin of the world. Which means, this was Jesus' nightmare. This is the only thing in life Jesus didn't want to happen. Jesus didn't want to lose his connection with his Father. And so he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently... And his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. The name for that condition is hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. I should practice that. It's an extremely rare condition that happens to a person who feels intense fear or stress. What happens is your body goes into fight or flight and releases chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol... And the consequence of that is that the capillaries near your sweat glands burst and you perspire blood. So notice the order of events here. Jesus prayed, an angel from heaven appeared strengthening him, and then, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. What? So the angel strengthened him to do what? The angel strengthened him to fall apart. That's what he needed strength to do. He needed strength to give God all of his fear. To give God all of his dread. To give God his terror. And what was the result? He experienced what singer-songwriter Nightbird called God on the bathroom floor. Right? The God who suffers with us. The God who feels as bad 
about the brokenness in the world as we do and is going to do something about it by bearing it. Mark 14, 41 through 42 says that that experience empowered Jesus to do this. He came to them a third time and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. If you and I are going to experience the courage that comes from a true connection with our loving Heavenly Father, we've got to learn to be completely honest with God. And this will take supernatural strength because we have an enormous capacity of denial. We have a great ability to shut down our feelings and to distract ourselves and to try to get away from what's true. This is why Jesus said in John 16, 12, and 13, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We need the Holy Spirit to make it possible for us to bear the truth about ourselves and about how broken and messed up this world is and how Jesus is our only hope. When we learn to ask the Spirit to give us the strength necessary to talk with God about the things that are going on in our hearts, we too will experience a fascinating thing. Jesus will meet us in our fear of vulnerability and pain and death, and He'll grant us His life. It's okay to be afraid of dying. I'm terrified of dying. I've been in the room with dear friends from Hope who've died. I hate it, right? It's okay. Jesus was afraid of dying. It's okay to be brokenhearted and angry at the death of your friends. Jesus was brokenhearted and angry at the death of his friends, and he knew he was going to bring them back to life. Paul explains what happens when we get honest with God this way, 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10. Now we have this treasure in jars of clay so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may be displayed in our body. Life to do what? Life to entrust God enough to make ourselves vulnerable to our enemies. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, No more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day I was with you in the temple. You never laid a hand on me, but this is your hour, the dominion of darkness. This choice on Jesus' behalf is what forever changed the planet. 
because it made it possible for God's enemies to experience God's grace if we would merely admit that we need it and we don't deserve it. The thief on the cross was the first. Luke says, But the other answered rebuking him, Don't you even fear God since we're undergoing the same punishment? We're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that thief wasn't the only one. He was just the beginning of millions of people who are going to hear the good news of this gospel. On the road to Damascus, the resurrected Jesus intercepted Saul of Tarsus on his way to persecute Christians and said to him in Acts 9, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. At this moment, Saul realized Jesus was God, Saul was a murderer, and that his actions were hurting God, the God that loved him enough to die for him anyway. Paul later summarized this discovery this way in Romans 5. He said, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Over and over again, throughout human history, the spirit of the resurrected Christ has revealed to sinful humans that our actions hurt him, that he loves us anyway, and that he's willing to give us grace if we're willing to make ourselves vulnerable enough to need it. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. So if we want to experience the full life that Jesus came to give us, then we will need to listen to Jesus and do the Jesus truth the Jesus way. We need to develop a spiritual routine. We need to choose vulnerability. We need to express our disappointment. We need to fall apart before our Father. And then we need to receive the enemy love that comes from God and entrust ourselves to His gracious heart. And as we do, connections will happen that will simply be supernatural. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us just the way we are in the middle of all of our needs and that you love us enough not to let us stay the way we are. But you call us out of hiding, you call us out of hardening our hearts and into a life of chosen vulnerability as we love our neighbors with the love that comes from you. We pray, Lord, you would give us the courage to do so. In your name, amen.